0: In the footsteps of Jesus from Down Under. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in with us. Today it's a special occasion for me because I have a special guest and I'd like to introduce to you Pastor Doug Batchelor who's um, coming with us all the way from the other side of the world, from the United States. He's visiting with us uh, in Australia and particularly right now is in Adelaide running a short series of uh, evangelistic uh, meetings. And I thought, uh, how can I grab uh, Doug from this very busy schedule because he's here for a very short time and moving on, uh, going to Melbourne. And, uh, but he kindly agreed to come with us and share a bit of his story, a bit of his walk with Jesus. He has an amazing story. I heard that many times, Pastor Doug. And uh, I would like to just welcome you to... Faith FM radio, and um, very happy to have you with us and hear a bit of your story. Uh, Pastor Dar, before we are uh, going into your story, I would like to just share with us a little bit of your uh, background and uh, what are you involved with probably right now? Well, thank
1: you, Nick. It's a delight to be here. I've been working probably the last 26 years with a Christian radio TV ministry called Amazing Facts. And our goal is we do Christian television, radio, publishing, evangelism, mission training, and uh, uh, just outreach all over the world. And I'm very thankful now to uh, be back in Adelaide, especially thankful I've been here before. My wife's never been here that she could join me on this trip and uh, seeing the wonderful
0: people here. That's wonderful, uh, and you seem to enjoy uh, the weather here in Adelaide right now, because over there in the United States, I believe it's uh, winter. Is that winter where you come from?
1: Yeah, we're from Northern California, which is a little different, of course, than Southern California, and so we, we had the ice on the ground uh, in our community not long before we left, so this is very pleasant weather for us. Okay,
0: that's good. Enjoy this time with us, uh, Pastor Doug. Because of our program and time, you know, limited time, I would like to hear as much as I can from you, because as I said, I'm really impressed with some of your uh, stories. Now, we may be able to hear just a uh, part of your story today, uh, but please share with us a bit of yourself. How did you get to know God, who you were before, and what's your, you know, background? Yeah, I'm, today I'm a
1: uh, a Christian pastor. That was not my beginning. My background is very um, different from that. My mother was uh, came from a Jewish background, and, but she was pretty much uh, agnostic. You realize you can be Jew by race and not by religion. And um, my mother was involved in a show business and media, and she, she was a film critic in Beverly Hills for ABC, Uh, She was an actress, she wrote plays, she wrote songs for people like Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra. She was a very talented lady, and um, most of her time she spent uh, as a film critic. And then on the other side, my father was a, um, he was pretty much an atheist. He, after World War II, he's a pilot, and he began to buy and sell airplanes and became very successful, so that at one time he actually owned controlling interest in two different airlines, and um, had a lot of money, was a multi-millionaire, and before he died, he was probably pretty close to a billionaire. Mm. But um, I saw that you know my parents didn't seem happy. Now, they, parents had two kids. My brother, I have an older brother that passed away. He had cystic fibrosis. And my father named us both after airplanes. I was named Douglas after the DC craft and my brother was named Falcon. And um, parents divorced when I was about three after just six years of marriage. And, and both parents were married like four or five times. So there's a lot of lot of change in our lives as kids. Got bounced around between grandparents in California, where I was born, to living with mom in New York City, to f- dad who moved his business to Miami Beach. And and then mom moved to London. And so, you know, we had sort of a cosmopolitan upbringing. And then I got into a lot of trouble in school. And uh, I went to 14 different schools, uh, two different military schools. First military school, I was five years old. And then a second military school, same one Donald Trump went to, called New York Military Academy. So I had a very eclectic upbringing. But Not believing there was any God, even though I went to a couple of different Christian schools and Catholic schools, a Jewish school, I I really didn't think there was any purpose to life. And I was very unhappy. Even from seven years old, I started thinking about what would be the best way to commit suicide. You know, it's interesting, just uh, since I was here in Australia, waiting in the airport in Melbourne, I heard a program they were doing on, you know, how can we counsel people? that are struggling with suicide. I guess there's quite a problem with returning vets. And um, I used to think about it, I guess the number one group that commits suicide in uh, Australia, as well as the U.S., is the teenagers. Mm. Um, A lot of despair. You know, and if kids are growing up thinking there's no purpose to life, that we are just highly developed, uh, you know, apes, that have evolved by pure chance, and we've really come from nothing and we're going nowhere. And if kids are struggling, you know, it's not surprising that they think, why not get it over with, go to sleep and never wake up? So I used to think about suicide and and uh, life didn't seem to hold any purpose. Um, when I was living with my dad, he drank a lot. And uh, I went back and forth between mom in New York City and my father in Miami Beach. When I was living with mom in the um, the media Hollywood scene, there's a lot of drugs. I, I first learned to drink from my father, you know, just kind of draining his martini glasses when he was done. And my mother, when I was 13 years old, she said, "Doug, I just assumed that you did uh, drugs at home as opposed to out on the street." So she started smoking pot and hash with me. And um, so I was in all kinds of trouble. You know, parents were so. Uh, out there with their lives, that I was a very confused young man, going to all these different schools, had no lasting relationships. And sometimes I'd go stand on top of a, an apartment building. I'd look over the edge, you know, in New York City, they got these skyscrapers, and I'd just think about jumping. Um, I, one reason I didn't jump is I was afraid, well, what if I live through it? What <laughs> if I jump and I'm just severely crippled, and then things are worse than ever? One night, I remember my uh, my mother was gone. My brother was now living with Dad in Miami. I was in New York City in trouble in school. And I thought, I want to go to sleep and never wake up. And I knew my mother took sleeping pills, so I went into her um, bedroom medicine cabinet and I found a bottle of pills that said, take one at bedtime. I filled my hand, and I think I really was going to take them and, and um, just go to sleep and I didn't think anyone cared about me, so I didn't really care. Uh, but what kept me from taking the pills is nowhere on the bottle did it take, it, it didn't say sleeping pills, it, it said take one at bedtime. It, it said on the bottle Valium, well mm-hmm. it turns out they were sleeping pills, but I was 13, I didn't know what Valium was. I thought well maybe this is some medicine for ladies and I'll get sick. <laughs> so um, that prevented me from taking the pills. and then. After that, I saw a commercial that was on TV in North America for some beer, and it said, you only go around once in life, get all the gusto you can. And so I thought, well, that's not a bad slogan. Why don't I just try and have as much fun as I can? I'd live a, an exciting hedonistic life and uh, just have all the excitement I can and maybe die in the process instead of doing something boring like jumping off a building or taking pills. So I really did begin to start living a very reckless, wild life, and I was drinking when I was living with Dad, taking drugs when I was living with Mom. Started breaking into homes. I didn't need to just for the excitement uh, with my friends. We'd use drugs and drink, and we we'd burglarize homes, which is kind of sad. You know, my father was a millionaire, and here I'm breaking into homes. Mm. Uh, I'd do almost anything to impress my friends. They dare me to break into a home where people were still awake and walking around, and. And I could have been shot matter of fact, I have been chased by the police I've been shot at and uh, I was in and out of jail. I don't have time to you know share everything that happened but ran away from home uh, first time I was thirteen years old. I always felt drawn to the mountains because it seemed natural. I got disgusted with New York City and l a and Miami and uh, ran away the final time when I was thirteen years old or fifteen years old I'm sorry and I was hitchhiking across the country, ended up going to Boston from Florida, and I started breaking into homes. I was stealing cars and televisions, and oddly enough, I had a job on the side as a security guard. So here I am. I'm 16 years old. I've got a counterfeit driver's license that says I'm much older. I'm guarding places at night, and I never stole from the places I guarded because I figured they trusted me. And I'm stealing during the day. I had a lot of money. I was drinking and using drugs. But a friend of mine who was, he was very religious. He was not a Christian. He was into one of these Eastern religions. He discovered that I, he was a security guard. He found out I was stealing during the day. And I said, are you going to turn me in and get me fired? He said, I don't need to turn you in. Your karma is going to get you. I thought, what's karma? He said, well, you know, whatever you do comes back. Now, it actually teaches this in the Bible. You know, Jesus said, uh, not karma per se, but the principle that what you do comes back. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus said, with what measure you meet, it will be measured to you again. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's some truth to that. Blessed are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. I said, no, nah, there's no God. I stole that television, and I sold it, got rid of it, never got caught, and I'm not going to get caught. He said, you'll see. I don't know if he was praying for me or what happened, but... A few days later, I woke up in my apartment in Boston, and my door was open. I thought, that's strange. And then I looked, and I noticed my TV was gone, (laughs) and my radio. And someone had broken in and stole my TV. And I thought, oh, I was mad. I called the police. (laughs) You know, i sure I'm a thief stealing from other people, but I was indignant that someone would dare to steal my TV. And I started noticing that everything I did seemed to backfire. I would steal something, and my friends were thieves. They'd steal it from me. Or I would um, I'd steal something while I was drinking and I'd hide it and I'd forget where I hid it the next day. Or I'd risk my life to steal something and it was broken. You know, stereo or whatever. I had it, stole a car and it broke down in New York City and had to hitchhike back to Boston. And just everything was going wrong. So I started be- beginning to think, maybe there is a God. And once I realized there was a God, that kind of frightened me. I thought, well, maybe there's a, a judgment day. And maybe there's a reward, and there's a heaven, and there's a hell, and I knew where I was heading. So I thought, I better find out about this. I wasn't really interested in Christianity, because in my mind, I always thought Christians were hypocrites. You know, my mother, with her Jewish background, said Christians cause all the problems in the world, and they start all the wars, and I was very biased. Mm. And... uh, And I'd look on the TV and it would say the Protestants in Ireland are killing the Catholics and the Catholics are killing the Protestants. And they both claim to be Christians and they're blowing each other up. Yet Jesus said, love your enemies. I said, all Christians are all hypocrites. So I got involved. This is back during the days of the Beatles. And a lot of young people were getting involved in the Eastern religions. And so I did too. I got involved in transcendental meditation and yoga and Buddhism. And I was meditating and trying to find God within me. Believing in reincarnation. And uh, reincarnation was a problem because I thought, well, if I was reincarnated, it doesn't really seem to do me any good because I don't remember my former life. So how, how does that help me? And um, I kept meditating and and trying to find that peace and I just wasn't, wasn't finding it. We, a friend and I were hitchhiking now around the country and uh, went to a uh, Hare Krishna temple because they promised some free food. If you went to their service, and we were living on the streets, I said, yeah, that'd be good. But the f- service involved an hour and a half of saying, "Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari." I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that's what they did. And it was just like repetition. It was like self-hypnosis. You know, I thought, this is just putting me into a self-induced trance. And then they only fed us yogurt and raisins. I thought, oh, I'm not joining that church. But then we went to a Christian mission, and they said, if you come to our service, we give you a free fee- a free meal. A lot of the drunks and the drug addicts on the streets would go to the Christian mission to get the free food. This is Santa Monica, California. And I noticed how different they were. They, they, they did a testimony. They talked about how God had changed their lives, and they had peace. And that impressed me. And they gave us some good food, too. Well, about this time, my dad, he flew up. I was... Uh, in boston again and my father flew up and said doug you've got to go back to school I, he said i found a school i'm 16 years old he said i found a school in uh, the mediterranean and it's on a sailboat and uh, there's girls you know because i went to military school it was all boys back then i said i'm not going back to military school so there's girls there's scuba diving you'll sail the world it'd be an adventure and he says you've got to get an education my brother was sick he said who's going to take over the company So I said, all right. So I went to this school. It was an elite school in Europe at the time, but it sailed around the world. It's two boats. Mm. It was called the Flint School Abroad. And people can uh, probably find that online. But um, after I got there, I found out I'd been tricked a little bit. The school, it was an elite school for the children of politicians and millionaires that maybe had gotten mixed up in drug or some cult to kinda of extract them from that environment and to help them clean up. And they had a very vigorous education. But they taught atheism. And I thought, oh man, now I'm very religious. I'm meditating all the time. So I was down in my I was going through something called Shakti, the spiritual science of DNA. God is in all your DNA. <laughs> and so I was trying to be at one with my DNA and meditating and and uh I learned something interesting, Nick. Though they taught atheism on the boat. I mean, they were always showing us films of Darwin and what a hero he was. And, and um, we were sailing from northern Africa over to Spain. It was winter, just before Christmas, and we encountered a very serious winter storm. The boats we were on were sailboats. And the waves were so big that the, um, the waves were completely covering the boat. I mean, the nose of the boat would go through a wave and it would wash from one end to the other and things were washing overboard and the wind was just screaming. And uh, everybody in the boat was seasick, including the captain. Uh, The mainsail was ripped and uh, water was coming in. I mean, they had the bilge pumps going, but I mean, the captain said, the water's very cold here. Uh, If you fall overboard, we're not even turning around because it's too dangerous. Uh, So everyone was very frightened. What do you think atheists do when they think they're going to die? Good question. Uh, it was amazing how many people were praying and became very spiritual. And uh, I was praying too. And, you know, I wasn't saying Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. I was just talking to God. And people know what to confess and how to apologize to God. When they think they're going to die, they immediately know what to repent of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we obviously live through the storm. Mm-hmm. But that taught me a lesson that um, fear is the wrong reason to serve God. Because as soon as the storm was over, most people forget their prayers and promises. The reason to serve God is because you love him. And um, at this time, I, after Christmas vacation, I ran away for the last time. I wasn't going back to this school where I had no more freedom. And I left Florida and I began hitchhiking from Miami, Florida, across the country to California. Now, you know, that's like going from uh, Sydney to Perth. It's a long trip. And we have deserts, too. <laughs> so I was, um, but about halfway across, I had to go through Oklahoma, which in the winter time was very cold. And I'm wearing these thin clothes from Florida, and I got stuck out on the highway begging for a ride. And I stood there for hours, and nobody would pick me up, and I was hungry. I lost all my money the day before drinking and playing pool. I was very spiritual, but I was still drinking, still mm. living wrong. And after hours of standing on the highway, nobody picking me up and sick, and I was kind of hungover and hungry and too proud to call home and ask for help, um, that I prayed. And I asked God for four things, and miraculously, He he answered all those prayers. He gave me five things. The four things I said, I said, Lord, help me get a ride to where I'm going, California. I said, "Uh, please help me get some money. I was out of money. I said, help me get some food. I was hungry. And the fourth thing I prayed for was a ride with somebody normal. Well, shortly after I prayed, uh, within moments after I prayed, the next vehicle stopped, picked me up. I didn't even say amen. I didn't mm-hmm. know about how to pray like a Christian. That person took me 2,000 miles or about 1,800 miles from there all the way to Palm Springs, California, where I was going, right to the door. They fed me all the way out. I did not ask them to. They gave me $40 when they dropped me off. I didn't ask for that. I also did not ask you the thing I got I didn't pray for is they preached to me. They were born-again Christians. Mm-hmm. And they preached to me all the way from Oklahoma to California. So, um, but I, you know, I had to listen to them talk about God or jump out of the car. So the, uh, now I wanted to find God through nature. And at this point, I moved up in the mountains to a cave I had found when I was 15 way back in these desert mountains above Palm Springs. There was a creek that ran by, so it's like a little oasis out in these uh, very steep mountain, high, rugged country. And I, um, I lived like a hermit for altogether about a year and a half. And um, I would hike, I never wore clothes. I mean, I was, that was the age when we wanted to be natural flower children, you know. I wanted to be at one with God, so I'm trying to find God through nature. And once or twice a week, I would hike down to Palm Springs. I'd put on my clothes, though I did forget one time, but that's another story. And I'd dig in the garbage cans out back, or I'd panhandle and beg for food. i played the flute and beg for money. And uh, I, I lived like a hermit. Now, I just should mention at this point that, you know, my father worked very hard. He lived during the Depression, and he was very poor he worked very hard to make a lot of money so his kids would never struggle. And when he found out from someone else in the family that I was digging in the garbage can for food, it just broke his heart. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I wonder what our Father in Heaven thinks when uh, after he gives his son that we might be saved from sin, that we go to the garbage of the devil to get food. And uh, it it breaks his heart. Well, here's a miracle that uh, I didn't mention is when I moved into this cave, other people had camped there before because there's black soot on the ceiling and, and there's some old tins and cans and things around in the cave. It was a good location, mm-hmm. but I could tell others had found it before. Someone had left a Bible in the cave, and so I wasn't that interested right away. I mean, you see Bibles in every hotel room, and I thought, well, uh, I kept running into Christians that were asking me questions. They had this big Jesus movement in the 70s there in Southern California, and and, um, they'd say, are you born again? Are you washed in the blood? Are you sanctified? And and what are they talking about? And I felt ignorant. So I thought, I'm going to read the Bible so I can argue with Christians and prove them wrong. And wow, something really happened. I, I mean, I was very cynical. About the Bible mm. again, coming from my my mother's Jewish background, we thought it had all been changed, and that you know Christians were the great persecutors. And, but as I read through the uh, Old Testament, I got stuck somewhere in Exodus when they started building the sanctuary. It seemed like too much detail for me. And someone said you need to go to the New Testament and read you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which I found it. And every morning I'd eat banana bread. I used to get old bananas and I'd had my own little dutch oven up in the cave and i'd make banana bread and eat banana bread with honey and i read the bible and i did this for months and uh, i was shocked you know along the way i kept saying this can't be true this can't be true but just a voice kept telling me this is the truth i thought well it doesn't make sense you know i how can this story of adam and eve and noah and the flood? how can that be true but i just couldn't shake jesus uh, I went to the library. I thought, well, Jesus never really lived. He was a char- uh, fictitious character. And I looked in the encyclopedia. They all said that he was a, a fact of history. And uh, I finally had to come to the conclusion, as C.S. Lewis did long before me, that you really only had three options. Either Jesus, he definitely lived. He's the most quoted person in history. Uh, said the most profound things. But he also said he was the Son of God and that he was dying for our sins. So either Jesus was lunatic, liar, or Lord. Those are the only options we have. Either he was insane, but I couldn't believe he was insane because he said the most uh, profound, uh, cutting, cognizant things anyone has ever said. I couldn't believe he was a liar because everything he said resonated with truth. He could have lied to save himself at his trial but he would not lie for any purpose. So the only thing I was left with is maybe it is true that there is a God, that he sent his son into this world in the form of man, his name was Jesus, to show us what God is like, to show us how to live and how to love each other, to teach us and to die in our place for our sins. And I thought, well, I've tried all these other religions. You know, maybe, maybe I've misjudged And up there in the mountains, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm a mess, but if you'd come into my life and give me some purpose for living, then uh, show me you're real. Mm. And I felt this peace come into my heart at that point that um, everything began to change. I mean, I was a big zero. I'm running around up in the mountains, eating out of a garbage can, begging, using drugs, drinking, living immorally, stealing. I mean, I was was a big zero. And... uh, God came into my heart and everything began to change. He helped me quit the smoking and the drinking and the drugs and the cursing and the stealing. And and just uh, the more I studied the Bible, and I was a skeptic, you know, from New York, the more convinced I became. And um, eventually, you know, the Lord just opened doors and brought me into the current ministry that I'm in now. So of course, I'm going back 40 years. So A lot has happened, but I just really thank the Lord for what he's done for me. And uh, the bottom line is, everyone's looking for peace and happiness, and now I
0: found it through His Word. That's an amazing story, uh, Pastor Dagan. and I didn't want to interrupt you okay. all through this. Um, but in the next minute or so, uh, there will be people out there who may want to find more about yourself. I'm pretty sure you'll have uh, lots of uh, stories uh, somewhere, and people can just uh, Google, uh, go on the internet and find those things. Would you share with us where people can uh, follow up with uh, your ministry? You are involved. You are the director and uh, speaker for Amazing Facts. Are yes. You? Yes. Yes. And if you give us um, some information about that, and probably just uh, closing with a thought for our listeners. Sure. Yeah. For the last uh,
1: 26 years, I've been the director of Amazing Facts. Amazing Facts has been around 55 years. It started with a radio program like this here, and where we begin with an amazing fact from science, nature, history. Then we bring in biblical spiritual lessons. So it's called Amazing Facts. And if they just go to amazingfacts.org, if they Google Amazing Facts, we're the first ministry that comes up. And if they want to see any other videos, you know, thanks to the internet, there's all kinds of Doug Batchelor <laughs> videos out mm-hmm. there. Um, just type in Doug Batchelor and YouTube. And um, if they want to see the book, the testimony I just shared, it's available at amazingfacts.org. And hope they can share the material and help lead others to the Lord through what they find there.
0: Yes, and we did mention that that you are an author and write uh, a couple of books. or uh, what well, about a dozen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said, just before we closing now, do you have a, a special thought for those people who are listening out there, which you like to live with? Yeah. Jesus
1: said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What is the priority in your life? You know, we're only here for a limited time, and uh, we know that we're here for a limited
0: time. There's nothing more important than knowing God and sharing God. Praise God for that. Thank you very much for uh, sharing with us. May God bless you in your ministry. And until then, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. This is Nikrita, your host. May God bless you.